Thank you very much. Good to be here. And uh, today we are carrying on our series called Storylines, looking at God's big stories right the way through the Bible. But it's also Father's Day. So happy Father's Day from me and to me, because I'm a father as well. Ray, thank you. That's my family cheering. Um, and also, uh, we have the privilege of having Riot in, which is our 11 to 13 year olds, I believe. So they're in with us. So welcome to you guys as well. Great to have you here around. My son, Caleb, and others are here with us for that. So um, what, are, what, are we, what have I learned about fathering then? Well, one of the things that I've learned is about promises. We've taught our kids about promises and uh, about keeping their promise. And it's been tough at times, hard at times, because sometimes a friend would come over and during the interaction, there would be a promise to swap a toy for another toy. You guys will be familiar with this. And they would swap a toy for another toy, and many of you parents will be aware of this. And then when the friend leaves, the swap doesn't want to be done anymore. But then we would say, have you promised? And they would say, yeah, I did promise. And so the swap would have to be done. And when the friend would leave, it was a painful moment. Promises, uh, when you give your word, it was a painful lesson. Well, of course, it came back to bite me because sometimes I'd be distracted and the kids would say, can we have an ice cream this afternoon, Dad? And I would say, sure, you promise, sure. And then the afternoon would go and it would get to tea time. And then they would say, you forgot the ice cream, the ice cream, can we have ice cream? And Caroline would be like, it's right before dinner, it's right before dinner. And they would be like, you promise. <laughs> And then I was caught between my wife and the children, a broken man, held on my promise of an ice cream right before dinner. But what is, when, you, when a promise isn't enough, what do you need? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? You need a pinky promise. Just grab the pinky of the person near you and give them a pinky promise. I pinky promise that I'll be nice to you until the end of the meeting. I pinky <laughs> promise. Pinky promise is a powerful thing, but do you know what? There is something stronger than a pinky promise. Some of you are shocked. Surely not. Surely there's nothing stronger than a pinky promise. My pinky promise is like steel. No, there is something stronger than a pinky promise. It's a contract. Ronaldo has a contract with Real Madrid for £288,000 per week for kicking a pigskin around a field for 90 minutes. How are you feeling about this, PJ? Are you feeling, feeling pretty good? Jealous. Jealous, yeah. He has a contract, and the contract is a deal between two parties. It's a deal between two, two, uh, two, two, two people, two organizations, two individuals. It's a deal, and both promise to do something. So Real Madrid promised to pay him, and Ronaldo promises to get that ball in the back of the net and keep himself out of dodgy nightclub photos. And so there's a, there's a promise, and, and the promise must be kept by both parts. That's a, that's a contract. But... There is. In our day, there isn't much stronger than that. That's where it ends. But in the Bible, again and again, it talks about something that's stronger than a promise, stronger than a pinky promise. Surely not. Stronger than a pinky promise, stronger than a contract. It talks about covenant. It talks about covenant. And right the way through the Bible, you'll see this word covenant again and again. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two people to do something like a contract. But it's stronger than that. 
It's stronger than that. I could give a, a, a contract with PJ. I could have an agreement. So I could say, PJ, you give me all of your extensive collection of power tools. Many of you come here regularly and know PJ's passion for DIY. You give me your extensive collection of power tools, and I will give you my extensive collection of Apple products, iPads. No, no, wait, PJ. Wait, 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 wait. Before you get carried away. Because <laughs> some of you are too excited about this. I've seen this collection of power tools. No, no. Before you, before you fulfill this, you have to understand a covenant was signed in blood over the blood of an animal. I'm not going to demonstrate to that to, to you tonight, but uh, kids, don't do this with your sister's hamster later. I promise not to bully you. Now, where's Fluffy? You know, it's a, con a covenant was signed in blood. There was bloodshed, and because PJ and I didn't shed any blood, the, the, the covenant is broken. It's broken there and there. The covenant was signed in blood. There was an extra, and the reason for that was this. They, they were communicating that covenant was on your very life. It was on your honor. It was cutting so deep. It was into your very person. That's how deep a covenant was in their understanding. So this is a big story. This is a big theme of right the way through the Bible about covenant. The question for you and Fry is, so what? Why do we care? Thousands of years ago, old book, why is it relevant to us today? Well, I read a story uh, this week of two uh, men. They were two homeless men. They were the brothers Zolt and Gelzer. And they were so poor, they lived in a cave outside of Budapest in Hungary. They lived in this cave and they gathered scraps to live, just selling the scraps from the scrap heap and just junk that they could find. They would sell it to live. Until one day, a homeless charity was contacted by some German lawyers. And the lawyers were looking for the two brothers. And so they found them. And when they found them, they told them that they had a grandmother who had died and had left them and their sister, who they'd been disconnected from for some time, with the entirety of her fortune. And this is how they responded. We knew our mother came from a wealthy family, but she was a difficult person and had severed ties with her entire family. She later abandoned us, and we lost touch with her and our father until she eventually died. But the lawyers found them, and they found them and gave them the fortune. You want to know how much? Four billion pounds. Four billion pounds. I checked this story out. It's a true story. It happened in 2009. Two Hungarian homeless men and their sister, who happened to live in America, became the inheritors, the sole inheritors of a fortune worth four billion pounds from a grandmother they had never, ever met. How are you feeling now, PJ? This is not helping you, this message. It's worse. It's going downhill. But imagine those brothers had never been found. Imagine that fortune is still sitting there. Imagine it's still sitting in some German bank somewhere. They had never been located, and they are still in their slum. They're still in their cave, living off of scraps. What a tragedy. What a broken tragedy that would be. The reality is that there is a greater tragedy going on. It's the tragedy of countless men and women who've never understood their covenant with God himself. Because God has given mankind a covenant, a promise, an inheritance far greater than that four billion. That four billion can only fix so many things in a life. It can't even fix the problems on this planet. But the covenant with God promises to fix everything in your life and my life for eternity. That's how powerful it is. There's a covenant at hand, and we need to understand that. 
And, and more than that, we need to understand it for our own lives because the more we understand this covenant, the more we understand the promise that God has made, signed in blood for us, the more we will live out of that place and the more we can minister into this world. There was a, a friend, she had a, a client, and that client was a, a criminal, and he had a, a, a baby with his... Uh, uh, she was working with him, as in, trying to help him out of his life of crime. He had a baby, and he named the baby, gave the baby a name. She asked him, why did you give him that, those names? And he said, because I have two sisters, and I've named my baby after my two sisters. I haven't seen them for years, because they were taken out of our home, because it was so dysfunctional. I've never seen them. But when they find me, I want them to know that I was always thinking of them. We live in a world of broken covenants, broken contracts, broken promises, broken lives. And as we were singing and worshiping about, we need to understand the God of covenant so that we can have a message for them. So I want to give you a story from the Word of God. It's from the, the book of Hosea. And uh, the times that this man Hosea lived were dark. The people, God's people, were completely in a mess. Sexual immorality, thieving, lying, drunkenness. Worse than that, they had walked away from God and had started to worship idols of stone and wood and bow down to them, even sacrificing their children, even killing their own children for the sake of these idols, because that's what they thought these idols were. I mean, it was depraved and a mess. And into that scene, God speaks to a man named Hosea. And he says to him, I'm calling you as a prophet, but first I want you to find a wife and marry her. And you can imagine Hosea was quite excited. I mean, that's a great commission from God, you know. Isaiah gets to run around naked and Jeremiah gets to talk to people who won't ever listen to him. And Hosea's like, awesome, I get to my first job. Find a wife, it's amazing, I'll take that commission. But then God says, I want you to choose a wife who is a prostitute, an unfaithful woman, and have children with her, and I want you to find her and marry her, because it's a picture of my relationship with my people who are unfaithful to me. And Hosea suddenly realizes he wasn't just to have a message, he was to be the message. He was to be the message. And so he finds her, a lady. We don't know where he finds her, but he finds a lady called Goma. And he marries her. And at first, it goes well. It seems like she's a renewed woman, a changed woman. She bears him a son, a little son, a little chubby face. Oh. They have a son together and all seems to be going well. Remember when I had my kids and I had so many rolls of fat, you have to lift the chubbiness off just to clean underneath it because the rolls of fat would just cascade down. They were so chubby. <laughs> so you can imagine Hosea's joy at his new son and his reformed wife. Maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe just marrying him was enough. Maybe that was the end of the story. Maybe that's the message. Praise God. <laughs> There's my sermon. But after the first son is born, things start to go down pretty quickly. Hosea's traveling a lot. He's traveling all over the country telling people, return to God. Leave this stuff. Leave this mess behind. Return to God. But at the same time, his own wife is getting disinterested. She starts to travel herself, but for a very different reason. 
She's away from home a lot. And soon, Hosea becomes, to be, becomes very suspicious of what she's up to. You can imagine his tears. You can imagine the pain as he begins to suspect what's going on. I've got some friends whose husbands or wives have been unfaithful to them, and I know the pain is so, so deep. And Hosea felt that. And then she gets pregnant again. And Hosea is suspicious that this child, which is a girl, is not his child. And the Lord tells him to call this child Loruhama, which means unloved, because this girl would never be truly loved because of the suspicion that her father had that she wasn't his child. And then Goma gets pregnant again. And if there was any doubt, this time he's sure. And God tells Hosea to call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people or not my family. Because if there was any doubt with the girl, the boy definitely wasn't Hosea's. And everyone knows she has been unfaithful. And he has to live with the shame of his unfaithful wife. And God tells him again and again, your life is a picture of my life. Your relationship with a wife is a picture of my relationship with my people. It was out in the open. He pleaded with her to stop. He begs her, please stop. You're throwing everything away. You're ruining our family. Please, please stop. But she refuses. They were promising her better things than Hosea could promise, more attractive things, shiny trinkets. And so she goes again and again. Her unfaithfulness increases until the point, we don't know how it happens, maybe a letter, maybe a note from a friend. We don't know, but what it is, is this. It's a message to Hosea that says, I'm done. I've found my true love, and I'm off. I'm gone. And so she leaves. Leaves him with the three children, and is gone. And you can imagine the friends of Hosea probably saying, Good riddance. Good riddance to her. I mean, she ruined your life. Let her go. Let her go. What a mess. What a, what a forget her. But the reality was, Hosea couldn't. He loved her. And one day, word came through the grapevine that her lover had abandoned her, and she was now having to sell herself as a slave. She'd sold herself as a slave, as a a prostitute again. And Hosea's heart was broken. And God says to him, he says, go again and find this woman, the woman that you love, who is loved by you, yet she's unfaithful, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Go and find her and bring her home. And you can imagine Hosea going through the broken streets, the dark places, the nightmare places, places that he never thought he would have to go looking for his wife, not even sure if he would find her. But he goes, and he finds her, and she's tied up by a slave owner. And he says, that's my wife that you've got there. And he tries to take her, but the slave owner says, get out of here. I don't care who she is to you. You've got to pay like everyone else. And so Hosea has to pay for his own wife, 15 shekels and some barley, he pays to buy her back and to bring her back home. And he says to her at the end of the story, this, you shall stay with me for many days 
and you will not be any you will not be unfaithful any more and hosea and his unfaithful wife are restored as a family again it's a powerful story isn't it it's an emotional story it's a real story it speaks so deeply to so much of the pain that we have known in this world it's a powerful story because, and, and for some of you, you've been through the pain of divorce and you're thinking, is this answering some of the questions about that? Should I have pursued? Should I have stayed? All of that. I'm, I'm not actually going to go there because actually, although this story enters into our world, it's actually about something bigger than our world. Although God uses a human relationship, he's actually talking about his relationship with us. And that's the points that I want to make. Firstly, it's this. God wants covenant relationship with you and I. We are the Gomer in the story. We are the unfaithful ones. We are the ones, I don't know about you, but so many times when I come before God, I feel that sense of unfaithfulness. I feel where I've let him down. I feel where I've not been who I could have been, even with all that he's done. Anyone else relate to that? Okay, it's just me. I feel that, and God wants us to hear this morning, even as a father, some of you are feeling today, I feel like I've failed as a father, and that's how you're feeling right now. And God wants to speak deep into your heart right now. Now, there is part of every human where we are the goma. We are the one who is unfaithful again and again, but God is coming for us as a covenant father, as a covenant husband. He is the one who has made covenant with us. He is that one. And again and again through the scriptures, you see these covenants that God makes with men, and they're all the same point. He wants relationship with you and me. He wants relationship, and he is passionate about it. He is passionate about it. I remember when I was a teenager laying on my bed at home with my Garfield pillowcase, which I had a Garfield pillowcase, by the way. <laughs> Acknowledgement point. With my Garfield pillowcase laying on my bed, thinking this, God, do you even care? God, am I just alone in this universe? God, do you even see me or notice me? Anyone else relate to those thoughts? And yet this story of Hosea is meant to teach us he does care. More than he cares, he has a covenant with us, an unbreakable covenant with us, an unbreakable covenant with us. He pursues us. You know, and there's few pictures in our world of such a covenant love. I, I, probably the one that come, came to my mind was the covenant between Frodo and Sam in Lord of the Rings. It's such a, a, a a picture. I mean, I love, I love Legolas and the arrow-firing elf, but I, I love Samwise Ganji for some of his brilliant quotes. The one, of, one of them, Caroline actually went to see the movie with me, but slept, slept through this bit, so this will be news for you. But one of them is at the end of the first movie, where they're in the boat, and Frodo, for the, to protect Sam, has tried to leave him behind, and he says, Sam, go back. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam says, of course you're going alone, Mr. Frodo. This is my best Sam impression. Of course you're going alone, Mr. Frodo, and I'm going with you. <laughs> of course you're going alone, and I'm going with you. And I love that because it speaks of covenant. It speaks of a lack of logic, but it speaks of total commitment and covenant. Now, isn't that why, if you wept in that movie, isn't that why you weep? It's that love. It's that fierce love that we see between those two hobbits. All right, okay, <laughs> they're hobbits, but it touches our hearts because there's something hungry in each one of us for that covenant relationship. 
for that unbreakableness, even in the brokenness of relationship in this world, we long for more. And the message of Hosea is, there is more. There is more. There is more. And it's found in God, the covenant God. And you know, that some of you might even, young people, visitors, you might think, why do, why do my parents, why do these people worship so passionately? What, what is that all about? I've never got worship. I've never understood that. And this perhaps gives us a little picture, because if you were to talk to Gomer at the end of this story and say, tell me about your husband, she's not going to be, yeah, he's all right. He's a pretty good bloke. That is not going to be her response. She's going to be, he saved me. He saved me twice. I was a mess when he found me the first time, and I was a bigger mess later on, and he pulled me out of the mess twice, and he loves me fiercely. He's the most amazing man who's ever lived. That's worship right there. That is an understanding of worship. That's the picture. When we get that, we can't help but worship. Not just in church, but all through our lives. Our lives become worship because the God has given himself to us. The Hosea of our lives is worthy of our worship. He saved us out of our mess. That's the first point. The second point is this. The Father pursues us relentlessly even when we're unfaithful to him. His covenant is so strong. You know, um, Caroline uh, had a, a story when she was working in our Barton House, our homeless, um, one of our homeless houses, and there was a guy there, I'll call him Steve, and he was a, a chronic heroin addict, and on, on, off heroin, on heroin, those who've known heroin addicts, as many of us have, on, off, on, off, and, and there came the point where he just left um, the house, and they can only keep the beds open for so long because they've got a queue of people need, I mean, in desperate situations needing, and so you can only go so far, um, even though you want to extend again and again and again, and they had, they can only go so far. And so there came the point where they, he was gone, and Caroline spoke to his mother, who was a believer and was in constant contact with the house, trying to say, you know, trying to work with them to help him. And, and she said, I'm going to have to give up his bed. And the mother said, well, how long have we got? And the deal was to the end of the month. I think it was nearly a whole month. To the end of the month, if he's not back by then, we're going to have to give up this bed. And so um, the mother said, I'll pray. And so they go through the month, and on the 30th, Caroline phones and said, I'm going to have to give up the bed today. And the mother said, it's not the end of the month yet. He's got till tonight, hasn't he? I'm praying. And Caroline said, yeah, he has. One minute to midnight, he walks through the door. And we heard later, numbers of years later, didn't we, that he was sorted, he was off heroin, he had a job, he was settling down, saw his life around, which is great news. But I was reminded of that because this story pictures that exact thing, doesn't it? In a world of broken promises and broken covenants, even our own, he is faithful. There's a bit in Scripture that says, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. God has called his name faithful. And so no matter how much you've messed up or think you've messed up and how much you feel like a failure or not, however much you will today or in the future, you need to know, he, we need to know, he is the faithful, faithful father. He's the faithful, faithful husband. Thirdly, it's this. This covenant story points to God's last and greatest covenant. God's last covenant with man was his greatest covenant, and it was different to all other covenants because all the other covenants had been signed with the blood of animals. That was the custom in that day. But the last covenant was signed with the blood of his own son. 
It was the greatest covenant. It was the greatest promise that God could make. It says in Scripture, because he didn't have anyone else to swear by, he swore by himself. He swore by himself. Sometimes we like to swear in God's name. We say, I'll do it. You know, we swear on the Bible because that's greater than us. But God doesn't have anyone greater than him. So what does he do? He swears by himself. He swears by himself and he signs the the last and the greatest covenant in his blood. This is what Jesus uh, says on his last evening before he was crucified. It says, he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God his Father for it. He gave them it to them and he said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. If you've never understood why Jesus had to die, it's for that reason. <laughs> because his blood sealed the covenant that this was binding on God himself. That if you come in faith through Christ, you can come to know God. Through Christ, you can come to have your sin washed away. Through Christ, you can come and be changed forever. That's the covenant. That is the covenant that he offers. And the last thing is this. We are not born to love. We are born to love like God. And there's a big difference between the two because the world around us has a version of love. But I tell you what, it's not this Hosea love. (laughs) It's not this kind of love. This kind of love is provoking, isn't it? (laughs) This kind of love is an example. This kind of love is the love that you and I were born for. We're not born to love. We're born to love like God. This is what Hosea says to Gomer when she returns and he brings her back. You shall stay with me for many days and you shall not be unfaithful anymore. And I believe that in that promise, in that covenant, is the picture of the greatest covenant. You shall stay with me for many days. In the greatest covenant that Jesus shed by his blood was eternal life. (laughs) Can't get more many days than that. (laughs) You will stay with me for many days for eternal life. That's what's at stake. That's what's offered here in Christ. And secondly, you will not be unfaithful anymore. What's that say? It means I've got the ability to change your heart. For all that stuff that's unfaithful, for all that stuff in you that you don't like, for all that stuff that falls short of your own standard, God says, I can change you through the blood of my son. I can change you. This is why this is important and significant. This is why this is so critical for us. The point of God's covenant is always transformation. It's not just to leave us where we are, but to transform us. And this is the message of Hosea. And I just want to finish with a note to, note to fathers and also to some of the young men here who are not yet fathers, but perhaps one day will either be fathers naturally or spiritually fathers to others. And this is a note for, for you. It applies to all of us, but it's a note to you. Because we live in a world where what it means to be a man has been torn to shreds. And men are pictured either as objects of mockery or they're ultra-violent or they're just insipid and weak. And that's the picture that you see in movies, in series on TV. There is hardly a godly picture of a man on movies and the cultural shapers of today that I can see anywhere. What it means to be a man, what it means to be a father, what it means to be a husband has just been decimated. There is nothing left. But I want to, what I say to you today is I believe God's given us this picture of Hosea, of him in Hosea, to show us what a man really looks like. To show us what a father really looks like. To show you young men what you should be aspiring to, to be as a man. And I want to just finish with this commission. Let your word be like oak. 
Give your word and keep it, even if it feels like it's killing you. Give your word. Let it be like oak. As fathers, as husbands, as young men growing up to be men, let your word be so strong. Let it be like oak. Give up anything else, but don't give up your word, because the world is craving some men who will stand by their word. In the business world, in the education world, it's looking for men to rise up and say, once I've given my word, I will hold myself to that word. Let your word be like oak. Let your love be like fire. What we see in the world is a selfish love, but Hosea gives us a picture of God. His picture of love is this. It's a fiery love. It's a fierce love. It's a passionate love. It's a love that pleads and calls and that fights for family and that calls people together. Let your love be like fire. Let it burn with passion in you. One of the things God's been speaking to me recently is letting my love burn more passionately. Letting some of the passion that I put into other things go into my love for my wife, for my family. Let my love burn like fire. Let that be for all of us. Let your compassion be like a hound. <laughs> you know, the picture of the St. Bernard that just keeps on going until it finds those lost in the snow. Men, let's let our compassion be like a hound that just keeps looking for those who are the poor those who are the broken, those who are the downtrodden, that catches our family, this family, our families up together to say we live and we won't stop going. While there's, a, <laughs> while there's someone poor and broken on this planet, we will keep going and yeah. giving. Let our compassion run deep. Let our compassion run and let it be relentless, men. Some of you guys growing up, you're looking for what you're going to be and what you're going to let your career choice and all of that, and that's good, it's all fine but let it be fueled by compassion as well for a world that needs you to stand up and be counted. And let the oil of healing forgiveness flow through you even when you're hurt and wounded. That's the picture that God gives us in Hosea, isn't it? It's a God who's a father, who's a husband, and he wants to raise up men who are fathers and who are husbands who forgive and forgive and forgive and just keep coming back. And it's not like he's saying we've got to do this on our own. He's saying, I am the father of all fathers who now lives in you. By the blood of my son, I'm alive in you. And I can transform your heart. So if we look at that picture and we think, I can't do this, and we need to remind ourselves, no one can but God himself. But he has promised to transform us. And that is his covenant with us. That is his unbreakable agreement. That if we partner with him and if we open our hearts to him, he will move through us and he will change the world around by us. I'm praying for my life and for our lives that we will be a new generation of men that the world has never seen before. And men who love fiercely. And men who pursue with forgiveness. And men who are like hounds with their compassion. And men whose word is like oak. When you do these things, you are like your father, who is the father of all fathers. We're not born to love, we're born to love like God. Yeah. And he's made us to be that in his image. Amen.